We're going to jump back into our series. It's called That's In There, and this is going to be our last week in this series. So I don't know if you've been here for some of them, most of them, all of them, um, but we've just been looking at different spots in Scripture that maybe you're like, I didn't know that was in there. I can't believe he said that. I, I, thought, I thought I read this before, but I don't remember that, you know, or I thought I read this before, but... You know, I didn't really think about what that actually means. Verses that just demand a response. Like, if that's really true, if Jesus really said that, if God really means that, what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for us as a church? And what does that mean for our community? And so uh, today we're going to jump back into that. And we're going to look at kind of a funny story. Uh, Gentlemen, I don't know if you're married or if you have a girlfriend or if you used to have one and you ever feel like you've been nagged, right? No, don't raise your hands. That's not going to go well for you. But we're going to read about a nagging wife, and I love that the Bible actually says it like that. These are real humans that God used to write his word, and so they spoke like we speak, and so, um, but what's, here's the takeaway, guys, in case you fall asleep, the one time that I know of in scripture where the guy gives in to his nagging wife, he ends up blind and then dead, okay? So, yeah, I'm just saying, Valentine's Day is over, like we are moving on. Okay, so we're going to be in uh, the book of Judges. So if you brought a Bible or if you've got a device that opens one up, then uh, I would love for you to open and read it with us in Judges chapter 16. It's about one of my favorite Bible characters, a really famous Bible character, a guy named Samson. He's super strong. He's like um, a Marvel movie in real life, right? And, and we really believe that the Bible is true. And there's some things in the Bible that are so crazy, especially with our Hollywood minds, we feel like like, that must be embellished or totally made up. But I really believe that God can give someone super strength, and God gave this man super strength. And so, um, by the way, if you're a lazy reader like I am, you can listen to the Bible even. And one of my favorite things to do is, uh, if you have the Bible app, it can read to you. And uh, especially, like, some of the voices are really smart and boring. But the New Living Translation guy, whoever that guy is out there, you know, if he's watching online, thanks to you, you're doing a great job. But the guy that, he just has this great personality, and when he reads judges, especially these, these couple of chapters about Samson, it's hilarious. I've turned around the car for my kids to listen to. They thought it was like a show. I'm like, no, this is the Bible, but like, it's awesome. So if you're ever just like, I'm too lazy to read or you're driving, turn on, uh, you know, like Judges 14 and on about Samson and listen to, especially the funny New Living Translation guy. Uh, he's just reading the Bible, but like the stories come to life. So uh, that's just a, a bonus nugget. That's not what we were planning on talking about, but it's pretty cool. So in Judges chapter 6, we're going to see this story about a dude with a nagging wife. He gives in, he ends up blind and then dead. But it's what else happens before that that's actually, I think, more crazy. Uh, it's actually a bigger deal than losing his sight. It's something else that he loses. And that's what I want to look at today and look at what does that mean for me, us as individuals, and us as a group. So Judges chapter 16, we're going to pick up in verse 15. Now this is a, a little ways into the Samson story, so you'll have to go read the rest for yourself, but I promise it's worth it. Not only is it entertaining, uh, it's inspiring, and it's inspired by God. But we're going to pick up Judges chapter 16, uh, verse 15. And this is right in the middle of this wife that this guy Samson marries. He, he picks this woman that is actually working for the bad guys. And so if you know the story of Samson, his parents dedicated him to God. God said, I'll be with this boy in, in miraculous power, but never give him a haircut. 
And, and so he's got this crazy famous hair, and, um, and then he's got this crazy famous strength to match it. And she starts saying, what's the secret? If you really love me, you would tell me. And so he lies to her because he's like, I should not tell anyone this God-given thing, you know, this special from birth type of secret. And so he tells her one thing, and while he falls asleep, she does it to him. And then she calls the bad guys. And she's like, oh, Samson, they're here. But he like just rips the stuff apart and he kicks their butts. And, and uh, at that point, I'd be like, why did my wife take 30 minutes to tell my secret to the bad guys, right? And then the next night, she's like, you know, I can't believe you lied to me. Why don't you tell me for real? So he tells her another lie. And again, while, I, while he's asleep, because she's like nocturnal or something, but every night he's asleep, she's up to no good. And so uh, while he goes to sleep again, she ties him up with the new ropes and the things that he says, and then calls the bad guys, and they're there again. And she's like, oh, Samson, guess what? I can't believe it. The bad guys are here again. And he, again, he wakes up, and he's just like huge and hulkish, and he kicks their butts, and, and she, a third time, she's like, come on, man, I can't believe if you really loved me, right? And so he tells her a third lie. He's like, oh, if you braid my hair, you know, he's, he's getting closer to the truth. And so while he, she fall, he falls asleep again, and he must sleep really deep, or he's passed out drunk. I don't know what it is, but she's like braiding his hair, and he has no idea, and then they tie him up, because they think this will finally get him. She calls the bad guys again. They all come. Every night, they got a truck out to this guy's house, and uh, if I'm the bad guys, I'm like, don't send me. There's no way, like, this is the third time, and, and guess what? The third time boom, he rips the ropes off, he kicks their butts again, and like, we're going to pick up the fourth night in a row, and if this guy isn't the dumbest human that's ever lived, look what happens, okay? Judges 16, verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me, and, I, and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Which if I asked Samson, I'm like, well, this is the third time you've lied to me and tried to get me killed by the bad guys. Like, why would I ever tell you anything? Why am I even married to you? But look what happens. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day after day after day after day until he was sick to death of it. And he finally, so I don't know if it was four days in a row. I like to pretend it was, but clearly it wasn't. But uh, finally a fourth time. So even if it was years apart, wouldn't you remember if your wife tied you up and called the bad guys on you three times? but he finally gives in, right? So verse 17, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word out to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. I'm surprised they even believe her, but they actually come again. Because this guy was taking out their whole nation. He, he was a one-man wrecking crew. The whole evil empire was going down because of this one empowered guy. So they'll do whatever it takes, okay? So the rulers of the Philistines returned with, this, with their silver in hands because they're paying her off, right? This is not just, she's, you know, it's not like they had a, a marital spat and so she's like, oh, I'll just see if I can get him blinded and killed. No, she's like getting paid by the bad guys, okay? So, um... Verse 19, after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. And this next verse is our verse today in verse 20. I mean, the rest of the story is comical and sad and entertaining, but uh, verse 20, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out just as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. That's like their uh, capital. 
And they bound him with bronze shackles and they set him to grinding grain in the prisoner, in, in, as a prisoner in the prison. Crazy, sad kind of end of the story for Samson who uh, gave away his secret after you know, like three failed murder attempts on his life but to the same person. But this is what happens. He ends up uh, captured, his eyes gouged out, and he becomes one of their slaves. And uh, now in the end of the story, God's able to still work through him uh, to accomplish some good, but it costs him his life, and I don't think it was God's original plan. He loses his sight, he loses his marriage, he loses his life, he loses a lot of things, but probably nothing more drastic or nothing that's a bigger deal than all those other things that he lost. Nothing was bigger than in verse 20 when it says, he did not know that the Lord had left him. Okay, it says he awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out as before, shake myself free. And I would expect it to say, but he did not know that his strength had left him, right? Because this is like a, a Marvel movie. If you never cut your hair, you'll just get stronger with every inch it grows, right? And if you shave your head, you'll be weak. But it wasn't just magic. It was the presence and the power of the Lord at work in his life and through his life. And so I would expect it to say he woke up, he thought he'd just go, no big deal, but he didn't know he was normal. But it doesn't say he didn't know his strength. It's scarier than his strength being gone. It's scarier than his eyesight being gone. It says he did not know that the Lord had left him. The spirit of the, of the living God was upon him all these years, and then it, it left, and he didn't even notice it. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that scary? That a guy could be used in such miraculous ways and given such amazing like superpowers, and then wake up one morning, and it feels like life is normal, and I'll just do my thing, and nobody can bring me down, and it's not a big deal, and God's not even with him anymore, and he didn't even recognize it. He didn't even feel a difference. It's scary for two reasons. First, that God could just be like, you know what? You're a bozo. I'm done with you. You know, you sinned. You've fallen into evil too many times. I've warned you. Uh, I'm just going to peace out. You're on your own now. It's scary that God would do that to him. It's probably even more scary that the spirit of God who was upon him in such power would leave and he wouldn't even recognize it. So here's the question for, for each of us today. If the Holy Spirit left you, would you notice now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, we believe, indwells every believer. If you call yourself a Christian, if you've ever made Jesus the Lord and Savior of, life, of your life, then you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you've never made that decision, if you're like, you know, I, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. Then um, the Holy Spirit is not with you in such a way that we believe. But if you're here today, if you're watching online and you're a believer in Jesus, then you have God's spirit. It's the same spirit that was upon Samson. And he could use that spirit to give you crazy Hulk-like power if he wanted. He doesn't really do that with most of us, but uh, he could. It's the same spirit, and that's inside of us. But what if you woke up one day and it wasn't? What would be different? How would you know? Would you know? Would people around you know? That's a scary thought. And I don't bring that up so that we all feel bad about ourselves. I just think so often, like Samson, we can miss out on God's very presence and power in our life. And we, and we, we underestimate it, and we take it for granted, and, and we miss out on all that God has for us. And we laugh at Samson for giving in to this murder, you know, four times in a row. And, and he's so silly, and what a bonehead, and, you know, what a muscle-bound guy, but nothing up here. Like, like we laugh at him all day. But what if we could be just about as guilty of walking through life blessed by God's spirit, 
but not really leaning into it, taking advantage of it, or living out what he has. If the Holy Spirit left you, would you even notice? What would be different about your life? Would your relationships look or feel different? You know, uh, any aspect of your life, would it look or feel different? Would you notice? Would anyone else notice? Which really begs the question, can the Holy Spirit leave me? So I want to lean into this because I think starting with Samson is a really great spot for us to find some challenge with us and the Holy Spirit and what that means in our lives. But just to be theologically accurate, uh, let me give you a quick overview of uh, the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit, like we sang, is part of the triune three-in-one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and he is eternal. It wasn't like there was God the Father, and then he had a son, and then they, you know, made a spirit. No, no, no. God has eternally existed three in one. It's hard to actually, I don't quite understand it. I only understand it enough to trust that it's true, right? Like, I don't know how to explain it perfectly, but it's true. God chose to exist three in one. Inside of himself, he is relational. He's not schizophrenic. He just chose, he's God. He's different than us, right? And so the Holy Spirit wasn't some new thing. It always was. When God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis, he says, let us make man in our own image. The New Testament says how Jesus was there and active a part of it, and it even says that the Holy Spirit Spirit was there and active as part of it. He is equally eternally past and eternally future. He is eternal, okay? Uh, He has no beginning. He has no end. He's part of the triune God, the Trinity, right? That's who the Holy Spirit is. In the Old Testament, though, the Holy Spirit was given by God to certain people for like a certain reason for a certain amount of time. It wasn't like everybody has the Holy Spirit. It was just different. And I'll show you why. Because the cross of Jesus changed everything and ushered in a new covenant that we get to enjoy. But in the Old Testament, you'd read about guys like Samson, who God said, I'm going to put a special anointing of my spirit on for my own specific purposes. And it it may be for a certain amount of time. You'd see King David was given this spirit, not only to kill Goliath, but then to reign as king. King Saul was given the spirit and the spirit left him too because God warned him and warned him and he failed and he disobeyed and he lied and God said, you are no longer going to be my king. Your descendants don't get to be king. I will choose someone else. I will put my spirit upon them. So in the Old Testament, you'll see the Holy Spirit on prophets and leaders and things, uh, but it's not everybody and it's not forever. It's certain people for certain reasons for a certain amount of time. Then in the prophets, you know, those, all those little books, you forget which, which order they're in in the, in the Old Testament. These guys are talking about how Jesus, the Messiah, will come and he'll start a whole new thing, a new covenant, we call it. In fact, your, your Bible has Old Testament and New Testament, uh, could probably be better translated Old Covenant and New Covenant because Jesus made a whole new agreement with mankind between God. And so the prophets, they would talk about how this is coming. And and they even said things like this, that uh, in the future, God's law will not be written on stone, but will be written on our hearts. And they were saying that God has promised to give us uh, some sense of always with us. God Emmanuel is what we call Jesus and his spirit inside of all of us. The living God would give us ongoing assistance to follow him, okay? And then... The cross happens. Jesus comes, you know, again, Jesus is equally eternal. He didn't start at Christmas time. He left heaven and came to earth. He lived for 30 some years, lived a perfect life, laid his innocent life down, rose from the dead saying, whoever believes in me will have eternal life, hung out for about 40 days. And then he says, you guys are going to take it from here, but you're not on your own. I'm going to give you 
My spirit, the same spirit that rose me from the dead will be alive in all believers. And the New Testament makes it clear all over the place that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior has his spirit inside of them. And it's a promise. In the Old Testament, we see these conditional promises. If you do this, then I'll do this, right? And it's on you to keep your part of the deal. In the New Testament, Jesus says, ah, I just forgive Anyone who confesses their sin, you can't earn it, you don't have to, you don't deserve it, you confess your sin, I'll forgive you, and I'll put my spirit inside of you. So theologically speaking, no, you cannot lose the Holy Spirit, okay? But I think there's more to it. So in the New Testament, the cross changes everything, which I hope you're excited about. That's something that we just celebrated with communion, that everything in history changed because of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross. So then what happens is uh, he says, wait for my Holy Spirit to come, then start my church. So we celebrate Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit comes. If you read the book of Acts, uh, it shows up like fire, and they're speaking languages, and 3,000 people become saved, and the church explodes, and then it starts to expand from that area to the next area till, you know, it's in the Americas and in all kinds of countries and all kinds of continents and all kinds of language. We serve the same risen Savior because his spirit made that happen through imperfect people. And Jesus promised that his Holy Spirit would indwell every believer. If you call yourself a Christian and you've missed that part, you're missing one of the best parts. It's not just that you get to go to heaven someday. It's that you have the spirit of the living God inside of you, with you always. And he wants to work on you. And he wants to work through you. And he doesn't want you, like Samson, to miss out on that. So Pentecost, um, the Old Testament promise comes true. Everything the prophet said, the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, God is written on our hearts and inside of every believer. And uh, there's several passages that talk about all that he does. And so here's just a few. Um, he speaks to believers as they read the scriptures. That, you know, you can, you can read all the commentaries in the world, but the Holy Spirit can help you understand God's word more than any other human. And that's something he does for us. He guides us. He's called our guide. As we try to follow Jesus, he tries to... Uh, course correct and point the way. He convicts us of our sins. He helps us know when we're missing the mark. And uh, he helps us even talk to God, hear from God, know how to pray. He prays with us. He prays for us. There's, there's many things that the Holy Spirit does. Um, but this is what we get as New Testament believers. If you were born a few thousand years ago, you might believe in the same God, but you wouldn't have his spirit actively always guaranteed to be a part of your life. But thanks to Jesus and what he accomplished for us, that's what he gives each of us as New Testament believers. So can the Holy Spirit leave me? I would say if you're a Christian, no, but kinda. Okay, now theolog I guess what I would say is theologically, no. God said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. My, my, it's not something that you earned, it's not something like you're keeping your bargain. It's, he says, it's a guarantee, it's a deposit, it's, it's in you, I've done that. Okay, so the answer is no, theologically. But I would say it like this, experientially, yes. Experientially, kind of, okay? And so here's kind of what it looks like for the, uh, the New Testament Christian, for people since Jesus came and died and rose again and ascended back to heaven, all of us who put their faith in Jesus. It's theologically no, experientially kind of. And I, I wrote it like this. I can theologically know that the Holy Spirit is inside of me, but I can live experientially ignorant of his presence and the benefits of his presence. So my mind can say, sure, God's Holy Spirit never leaves, right? Because like, he's so good. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to keep it. But experientially, I can live with my back to him and ignorant of his presence in my life and totally missing out on the benefits 
of his presence in my life. The Holy Spirit will not abandon me, but I can abandon the benefits of life with him. Do you see how that works? And so um, that's why in the New Testament, uh, Paul talks about this, others. And so I want to show you a couple things that Paul says specifically about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it's really interesting. So the first one is in Ephesians. And Paul says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So you, you can't lose the Holy Spirit, but Paul says we better be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, the New Living Translation says it like this, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way in which you live. And what Paul is saying is, yes, people who are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, we can still do things, say things, think things that break God's heart, that grieve his very spirit. I always think about like, um, you know, growing up, if your parents are mad at you, if your parents punish you, you know, that's bad. But what's worse if they're disappointed, right? Like, you know, spank me all you want, growl me for life, please don't be disappointed in me, right? And, and same thing with God. Wouldn't you rather have God punish you and, and smite you with some disease or something rather than find out that you broke his heart? Now, he describes himself as a jealous God. His love for us is perfect and full constantly. He wants everything to be best for us. He doesn't want us to waste our attention on anything that's worthless. He doesn't want us to, to give our hearts or our lives to anything that's not as worthy as he is. And it breaks his heart when we believe poorly, when we act poorly, when we speak poorly, we can grieve him with our attitudes, we can grieve him with our thoughts, even if other people on the outside don't know what's going on. And, and Paul says, as Christians, you have the spirit inside of you. So live in such a way with God's spirit that you're trying not to hurt his feelings. You're not trying not to bring him sorrow. It's fascinating that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. But that's just a an interesting way for us with our human brains to even think about this relationship, this ongoing thing. Because we have his spirit who won't leave us, but we can continually hurt him. And you know, God's perfect and he's faithful, different than us. But in our human relationships, if you continually hurt me, I'm going to stop trusting you. I'm going to stop turning to you either for help or for comfort or, or because I need a favor, you know, be, and, and so we can think about how we can grieve. The second thing, and then the Apostle Paul also says this, but it's in a different letter to a different group of Christians, similar idea, but a little bit differently. He says, do not quench the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians. And he's just saying, a hand, he's like, he's telling us how to pray and he's trying to encourage us before he finishes this letter. It's like he's running out of ink or his chisel's getting dull or something. And so he's like, all right, pray all time and, and, and don't quench the Spirit is one of the things he, he includes. Again, the New Living Translation says this, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. And the idea that Paul's trying to say is the Holy Spirit, just like at Pentecost, is given to us, it's this idea of fire. And in one letter, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, fan it into flames, the gift that was given to you, right? That you can take this good gift that God has put inside of you and you can just ignite it and turn up the heat and let it just roll out of you. Or you can, you can quench that fire. You can smother it. You can douse it with water. And the Holy Spirit won't leave you, but you can totally smother his effects and his blessings and his power in your life. He's given to us as a fire that can be fanned into flames or quenched. So something I read said this, God allows us to release or restrict the power of the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. Now you're not God and he'll do whatever he wants, but he puts his spirit inside of us and he says, now you can take advantage of this and live it out to the fullest or you can cover it up and smother it and quench it and totally not be used for what I want, 
or experience what I want for you. We can release or restrict the power of the Holy Spirit through our relationship. So we can, we can grieve the Spirit, we can quench his, his power in our lives. You know, it's kind of like you can harden your heart until you hardly hear him at all, until you don't even sense his presence. Now his Spirit, I believe, is guaranteed and it will not leave you. And whenever we turn to him, he is faithful and he is there for us. But until then, we can just walk farther and farther from him, tuning out his voice, forgetting all the little promptings and nudges that he does inside of us, not even allowing him to get our attention. So can you lose the Holy Spirit? No, you can't. But experientially, kind of. I said it like this. Samson took God's power and God's presence for granted. So can we. Now, in the Old Testament, the Lord literally left him, and he didn't even know it. He's like, ah, no big deal. I'll take care of these guys one last time. No big deal. He had no idea. I don't think that's going to happen quite the same to us as New Testament believers, but in the same way, we can totally be missing out on all that God has for us with the relationship of his spirit inside of us. And we could be missing out on the benefits and the blessings because we've taken it for granted. Samson missed out on God's blessings. So he ends up, God can still use Samson. It says that, and as he was in prison, his hair started to grow, which is like this page turning, you know, glimmer of hope. And then it says eventually he's able to get all the muscle back and he knocks over a whole building and kills like 3,000 of their top leaders all at once, but he also dies himself. And the Bible doesn't give us this great commentary about now God's original plan was for Samson to, you know, but I don't think God's plan was for Samson to have to have a murder-suicide in the end to accomplish his will. But that was kind of the place where he got himself and God's like, I can work through anybody. I will accomplish my will. I would like to use all of you. But you could totally miss out on what God wants if we smother and quench his work through his spirit in our hearts. Samson missed out on God's blessings. Now, the last verse I want to show you, also from the Apostle Paul, and this is fascinating. Remember, Paul teaches, and the New Testament clearly over and over says that we've been given his spirit. It's inside of all of us as a promise, as a guarantee. We can't lose it. But then Paul says to the Ephesians, be filled with the spirit. Like, this is something you're supposed to do. It's a command. You must work at being filled. So how does that work? How do we have to work at being filled with the Spirit if God's Spirit is promised inside of us? It's because of this balance that His Spirit is in us, but we have a, a relational role to play with who He is and His power and His presence in our lives. And so Paul says you can grieve the Spirit, you can quench the Spirit, you can work at being aware of and full of the Spirit. Uh, I don't know all that Paul means by this phrase, but to try to make it simple, it's just inviting God's spirit in your mind and in your heart and in your life. I think Paul would say, and Paul did pray this way, he would invite God's power and his presence through his spirit to be active, to lead me, to guide me, to comfort me, to help me understand his word. All the things that he promised, we can claim those promises and ask for his help. Do you ever just invite the Holy Spirit into your day, into your decision-making process, into your relationships? Because if you don't, you're missing out because he's there for you. And the same power that gave you know, Samson super strength and rose Jesus from the dead is alive in each of us because God has specific plans to use each of us to build his kingdom. And he says, don't turn your back on me. Don't turn the volume down. Don't quench. Don't miss out what's going on that I have not only in your life, but for using you. Uh, invite me. I, I want to be a part. Welcome me. That's what we do on Sundays. When we pray, we open up this room and we say, God, fill this room. But we open up our hearts and we say, God, fill my heart. 
But we don't want it to be a Sunday thing for a couple of hours. As we leave this place, we say, God, fill my life. Fill my, my family. F- fill my future. Fill my relationship. I, I just want, I want you to lead me. I want to invite you. I want, to, I want, sometimes I pray like this. I say, God, would you just get my attention? You know how to get my attention. I've always had this like sneaky suspicion that if I don't listen, eventually he'll slap me upside the head. And I don't want that, right? And so if you got to do that, God, I'd rather be slapped by you to have you get my attention. But if you can get my attention sooner, you've done it before, you know how to do it. I just want, I want, I want you to have my attention. I've, I've prayed that so many times because I'm a bowhead like Samson. And I don't want to miss out on what he has for me with his Holy Spirit. And so we can invite. Sometimes it's just being aware of the fact that God is at work around us and in us and thinking about that, praying about that, not just inviting God to be at work, but then just being aware of the fact that his Holy Spirit is real and it's real inside of you. It's real as we gather as the body of Jesus and just being aware that his spirit is, is up to good things and powerful, okay? Um, be led by the Holy Spirit. So as we invite the Holy Spirit, then we say, I want to follow you. Uh, if you say jump, I want to go jump, right? Like if you say go, I want to go. If you say stay, I want to stay. If it makes sense or not, I want to be led by you. And now sometimes we get crippled by almost any decision because it's like, all right, I'm not going to do anything until God says what to do. I went on this missions trip one time and, and the people that led the trip said, hey, we want to, we got all these plans. We're going to go here and do this this day and we're going to serve this group of people and do these things. But we set aside one whole afternoon for you just to be with God. We, we didn't schedule, we didn't program anything. You can just do whatever God says. Start with some prayer, and then if he leads you to do something, we gave you time to do it. And so uh, I was with a group of teenagers, and they, they were all pumped about this. And they took it so seriously that we were like in this downtown area, and then they were like, we're in an intersection. They're like, well, I don't know if God said to turn left or go straight. Well, why don't we just stand here all day? I was like, no, I don't think that's what God wants for us. Sometimes he can get our attention. He can tell you exactly, I don't want you to take that job. I want you to adopt that kid. Whatever it is, he can get our attention. He can tell us very clearly. But a lot of times he says, I've also given you a spirit of wisdom that you would do your very best to follow me and you're allowed to make your own decisions. And so I said, guys, we can totally pray right now and ask God, you want us to go straight or turn left? And if he makes it clear, we'll go. If not, we'll make our decision and he'll be with us anyways. And that's, how, and that's a petty little left or straight kind of thing but we do that in our life, that we want to just be aware of God and his power and his presence in our lives and be led by, um, I, I don't know if I told you before, but I kind of, Cherry and I talk about raising what we call 1980s kids, you know, so like, they're so like lame compared to their friends. They, 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 you know, they watch old movies and play old games and um, they, don't, they don't get cell phones and stuff like that because we just want them, we want to pretend they live like when we were growing up. I don't know if that makes us great parents or terrible parents, but one of the things was like, I can't text them to come home. So the rule was, you can go as far as you want until I whistle and you got to come home. And if you can't hear me, you went too far. That's your own fault, right? And so this is like how my grandpa raised my mom. And so we were like, let's do it. I can whistle pretty good. And so several times over the many years, they would be at a friend's house or a park just out of, you know, a block away or whatever. And, and um, they would come running home like a block or two, you know, leaving their friends in the dust. Dad, did you whistle? And I, I felt bad, but like, no, I didn't. Like you heard something. But you know, I was never more proud as a dad that just in case that was dad, I'm going to go. 
And what if we did that with God? Because sometimes you're like, this is God, or this is not God. But a lot of times you're like, is that God, or is that my guilty conscience, right? Is God telling me to do this? Or, I, I'm not sure. But if you're like, as long as it lines up with scripture, you know, if God's telling you to do something terrible or evil, or just not in line with who he is and what his word says, you know, that's not God. But if, if you're like, I'm not sure if this is God or not, just run. Just go because your heavenly father will never be more proud or honored that you would say, just in case that's what you want, I'm gonna do it. Because then you show that you're trustworthy. See, that's the opposite of grieving his spirit. That's making your daddy proud. And he would say, that's someone I can trust. That's someone that's listening for me. That's someone who wants to be led by me. And a lot of times you'll probably find that is what God wanted. And if not, he's gonna be blown away by your obedience either way. So we wanna be led by the Holy Spirit. And the last part of this is just to rely on him. That as we live our lives, we recognize, I don't want to go fight the Philistines in my own power. I need the power of God in my life to do what he's called me to do, to be the kind of man or woman, the kind of father or leader or, you know, whatever kind of person, student or worker that we are, uh, as we volunteer and lead ministries, right? That we don't do that in our own power. We want to rely on him to show up that we can't save anyone, but he can save everyone who calls on his name. And so we started a church to tell more people and invite more people to worship with us, knowing that we can't do it on our own, but we're going to rely on him to do it through us. And we want to just be people that invite him. We're totally understanding that he's around, he's at work. We want to be led by him and we want to just count on him to show up. One of my favorite things about God is that he is faithful. I am unfaithful and he still is faithful. I've thought like as, as, as a pastor, people have said, oh man, that was, a, thanks for sharing that or great job today or that really was, I needed to hear that. And, and they'll say these things and I'm just like, and I'll say, he is so faithful to show up every Sunday, you know, because I'm not that smart. I can't encourage you. I, I can't inspire you the way he can. Those were not my thoughts and my words. That was the Holy Spirit ministering to your heart. And it's not anything I could do, but he keeps showing up. And you know what? As you leave this place and you go to lunch or you go to work tomorrow or school or whatever, everywhere you go, he is with you and he is faithful. And we want to be people who instead of grieving him or quenching him and missing out like Samson did, we lean in and we just expect him and we rely on him. We beg him to show up. We celebrate his presence and we just try our hardest to follow And as we do that, he will change our lives like crazy. He will use each of us to do amazing things. This is his plan for his people. Praise the Lord. If it was up to us to keep our end of the bargain, none of us would have the Holy Spirit left inside of us. We can't lose that good, good gift. But we can lean into it. And we can take advantage of it. And we learn that story from Samson. So here's how I'd like to close. I'd like you to stand so we can pray together. And I just want to lead us in a moment where we bow our hearts And I don't know how you pray. Some people say, dear Heavenly Father, or hey God. Some people say, dear Jesus. And and you can pray to God the Father. You can pray to God the Son. You can also pray to the Holy Spirit. I think he's the part of the Trinity that we pray to the least. And he's the part that indwells us constantly. So I want to lead us in a prayer where we pray to the Holy Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit and just invite him, just like we were talking about. Okay, Let's let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just recognize that you are real and that you are powerful. God, we celebrate that. Thank you for sending your spirit. You sent Jesus to walk the earth physically as your presence, and that was awesome. But even better than that, then you gave your spirit 
to every believer. So God, for all of us that call on your name, Jesus, all of us who call you our Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit, we thank you for filling us, for being with us, for that deposit, that guarantee of eternal life. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would get our attention. If there's a decision that you want to influence, I pray that you'd speak loud to each of us. If there's an area of our hearts that we need to surrender, I pray that you would just get our attention. If there's a way that you want to lead us, we want to be quick to listen and quick to follow. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are up to good things and you want us to be part of them. Help us not to do things, think things, have attitudes in a way that would grieve you or quench your power, but to celebrate your power. We just invite you into our hearts. We want you to receive all the glory from our lives. We want you to do amazing things in our, in our lives and, and through this church. We want to see more people come to know you and have their souls saved for eternity because you would choose to use us by the power of your spirit. We pray that you would do that for your glory, for the sake of your great name. We thank you for this good gift. It's a little mysterious, but I pray that as much as we would understand it, we would celebrate it and we would lean in and we thank you that you are faithful. You never not show up. You are so good. And while we're praying, I just want to close the service in a a time of prayer uh, with the whole Ukraine invasion thing. As we gather as God's people, we just want to, as one voice, raise our hearts and ask him to move and work as only he knows And so um, we'll just continue to pray. God, our hearts are broken over the news of war, over lack of peace. God, we know that there's Christians in Russia and there's Christians in the Ukraine and uh, there's Christians who have probably been uh, out of their houses now and had their lives totally disrupted. And so God, first we pray for the believers around the globe, especially in these two countries, as they are either proud of or sad for or disappointed in their own governments. And whatever kind of influence they have, God, I pray that your power through your spirit would show the people around them who you are. God, we, we know we live in a broken world, but we pray for the leaders of all these countries, including our own. God, if you could get attention of these leaders, cause them to have humble hearts, to hear your voice, to make decisions inspired by you, even if they don't notice it, God. Uh, We know that you are a God of peace and someday you will grant final for all peace. We know that until then, this world will have many trials and struggles, but as long as you're hearing our requests, we we ask for glorious peace to come from unexpected places. But God, more than anything, we ask for your will to be done. And in in scripture, we see that you use good people to do good things and you use evil people to accomplish good things. You use Samson when he's obedient and you use Samson when he blows it. So God, we pray for this whole struggle and as other um, countries and leaders figure out their role in it, we just pray that your will would be done and that more people would come to know you as a part of it. And we trust that you are always up to good even when we don't understand it. And we thank you that we can live in that trust We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, on your way out, we've got some slips of paper that just have some ways that you could pray for uh, Ukraine and for believers around the world and things like that. So if you're like, hey, that would help me pray this week, feel free to grab one. Otherwise, I hope you have a spirit-filled, awesome week. We'll see you next Sunday.